0: We have come as far as verse 19 in chapter 1 of John. And it says, This is the record of John, John the Baptist, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed, denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Elijah. Uh, Isaiah, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Messiah, or Elijah, or that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is, "...who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose." And These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. So John the Apostle, the one the Lord is using to put his quill to the page and give us this record, this gospel was a disciple of John the Baptist. This fiery individual that people were thinking, this must be the Messiah, this must be Elijah returned, this must be the prophet Moses spoke of. And he stirred the whole area. Jesus himself would say, of all of those born of women, none hath arisen greater than John. And you think of that, you know, that... The book of Genesis starts with genealogies, you know, Adam begot Seth and Seth begot Enosh and Enosh begot Lamech, Lamech begot Mahalil. You you go through, and then, you know, of course, the the book of Numbers, then Chronicles, the genealogy. You, You go through all of that, and Jesus is saying all of those births, all of those records, all of those born of women, the pharaohs, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, the Caesar, who was Caesar at this time. No one, he says, comes close to this one. Among all of those born of women, none hath arisen greater than John because of his message, because of his proximity to the Messiah. Greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than David, greater than Isaiah and Ezekiel. Because he alone of those prophets, and Jesus would say the prophets prophesied until John, he was the only one, all of them, that could point the finger, and that will be next week, and say, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The prophet of the highest, as it were. He's mentioned 79 times in the New Testament, so quite a character and quite a remarkable ministry. He is a miracle baby. It tells us in Luke chapter 1, his father Zacharias, who was a priest and a Levite of Aaron's line, his mother Elizabeth, who was also of Aaron's line, were well stricken in age. Do you know anybody like that? (laughs) Don't look at me. Well stricken in age beyond childbearing years, like Abraham and Sarah. And of course, Gabriel comes to Zechariah when he's officiating in the temple. And he says, fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. You mean the prayer I prayed 50 years ago? (laughs) He says, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. So don't get discouraged praying. Even when it looks beyond the point. And thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. So there evidently there's no room to be filled with both. Wine and the Holy Ghost. That's why Paul says, Don't be filled with wine, but with the Holy Ghost. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit, notice, and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared. For the Lord. So this miracle baby steps onto the scene. Um, very interesting. Jesus, the second time we hear him speak is to John. First time we hear him, he's twelve years old. Mary and Joseph had left him behind in Jerusalem and went back and found him in the temple and challenged him. He said, Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? That's the first words we hear from him. The second time we hear him speak, he's looking at John the Baptist, and he said, suffer it to be so now that we may fulfill all righteousness. Because John has said, I have need to be baptized of thee. And we hear him and John in a discourse. Now it's interesting because John is a relative to Jesus. It tells us in Luke 1 that Gabriel said, now... Thy cousin Elizabeth has conceived and is in her sixth month. So Zechariah's wife Elizabeth, way older than Mary, is a cousin. And John the Baptist is related to Jesus. But there's no doubt that Zechariah and Elizabeth had seen the fullness of their days and have gone to be with the Lord. And they left behind possibly a junior high age. Kid, which was much different then. Um, And he's been in the wilderness of Judea alone with the Lord, wrapped in a mantle of camel's hair like Elijah, finding a warm place in a cave somewhere to sleep at night, wrapping himself in eating wild honey and locusts until the day that the Lord sends him forward to begin to preach unto the nation. Of Israel. And because he's of Aaron's lineage, and no doubt the priests and the Levites knew that, um, even the Sadducees, when Herod said, Where is this Messiah to be born? and they looked in the scripture and said, Bethlehem of Judea. They knew what the scripture said. There's no doubt then that this group, if you look in verse 19, priests and Levites, It's the only time in the New Testament that priests and Levites are mentioned together. So these are priests of Aaron's line, and these are Levites of whom Aaron was of that line, and they have a particular affinity to John because he's of the same lineage. So the leaders in Jerusalem, in the temple, and and hypocrites must have said, Well, you go find out who he is. He's your family. So it says, this is the record of John the Baptist, when the Jews, John is writing 90 AD, Jerusalem's gone, Titus has torn it down, Jews have been scattered all over the world. He's writing basically to the church, primarily Gentile, certainly if there's Jewish believers. And John the Apostle mentions the Jews, plural, 70 times in his writings. He says, this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, that is their responsibility. It's their, you know, they're they're doing what they should be doing. They have a custodian, custodial relationship over the truths of Israel, the, the priests, the Levites. So they come, and it's a legitimate question. Because we're told, look, John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, has touched the entire area. It tells us, as you read through the Gospels, all of Judea, all of Jerusalem, the surrounding districts, there are thousands that are coming to hear John the Baptist. There are more people coming to hear John the Baptist... That are up on the hill at the temple. And they're jealous. He doesn't have a web page. He doesn't have an email address. Doesn't have a phone. He's not texting. He doesn't he's, he's not on Twitter. You know, this is without any media. Here's this guy down by the Jordan River. And and one day the Lord says, It's time, John, and he begins to preach repentance and and faith and as he's doing it i guess there're probably two old fishermen sitting down there by the jordan river saying what's this guy with the grasshopper legs in his beard you know he's over snow. watch him for a few days and they must have come under conviction because he's moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they probably brought two or three of their friends, and there were probably five of them sitting down there pretending they were fishing, listening to John. And then they brought friends. There was 10, there was 20, and pretty soon there's multitudes coming to hear him. Without all of the modern you know, technology we have, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's telling this generation to prepare for the coming of Christ. And God wants you and I to be filled with the Holy Spirit as we tell our generation to prepare for the coming of Christ. He had said to his disciples, stay in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. That you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts, that's you and I, of the earth. And he said this promise of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children and to as many as are far off. That's us. And we live in a generation much like this one that John is preaching to. He challenged the political leaders of the day because of their immorality if you can imagine he challenged the soldiers and the, the, the those who you know brought law into he said don't take any more than than your salary than what you're due don't abuse people don't be tough on them you know he told the religious leaders you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath that's to come that's what he said to the religious leaders cuz you know, they were taking money. They were doing triple ties Sunday. They were getting caught with, you know, sexual situations. And you have to use your imagination. And and John the Baptist is speaking to this generation, saying, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Christ is coming. We, You know, we sit here Sunday morning. We're going to heaven. If you're here today and you're born again, you're going to heaven. If you're not, you need to listen up. You need to listen up. Because the people that came and swarmed around him that wanted to hear were the tax gatherers, the sinners, the harlots, the outcasts. The religious people came to criticize. But the downtrodden and the broken... And the empty and the sinners came to hear this man in the power of the Holy Spirit tell them that they were in sin and that they needed to repent for the remission of their sins. And they flocked to him because somebody was giving them hope. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit, which takes it to the heart. And the day that we're living in, you and I... We have friends. We have classmates. We have people we're working with. We have parents and relatives and brothers and sisters and children and neighbors that are still lost. And that's not going to change unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that whatever time I have left. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fresh. I don't want a 1982 filling of the Holy Spirit. I want a 2021 filling of the Holy Spirit. And you should be thirsting after that yourself because the world we're living in is disintegrating. And we have the answer. And it isn't where the world's arguing and dividing over all of these issues. It isn't you need to be a Republican. That's not our message. Or you need to be a Democrat. Or you need to be vaxxed. You need to be unvaxxed. It's not a racial message. Our message is this. All y'all. Democrat, Republican, black, white, yellow, brown, you know, vaxxed, unvaxxed, all y'all. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in his son would not perish but have everlasting life. All y'all need to hear that. Our generation, our friends, our kids, our neighbors, our classmates. That's the only message there is. You can convince people to do all those other things, and if they go to hell when they die, we will not have fulfilled what we've been called to do. And to share the love of Christ with this lost world. And somehow John the Baptist, in all of his fire, was able to appeal to the hearts of the broken, and the outcast, and the sinner. And they responded. And multitudes were gathering... And the religious leaders looked at it, and it was their custodial responsibility to come and say, who are you? And no doubt they send priests and Levites because they knew his lineage. They knew his lineage. Zechariah, when John was small, must have sat with him and talked with him and took him through the scriptures and told him about the Holy Spirit in greater and greater measure being upon his life. Told him, no, you're not going to be like Aaron. You're not going to be a priest. You're going to be like Elijah. The anointing and the power of Elijah is going to be on your life. And somewhere in the process, as those two elderly people passed away, this young man spends then years alone with the Lord. Now steps onto the scene. A priest, a Judean, a Levite, but a prophet. And the entire area is coming to hear him. And it says in verse 20, And he confessed, and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. He knew what they were going to ask him. He knew what they were thinking. They haven't asked anything yet. He already gave them the first answer. And and John's gospel is the only one who gives us a concrete denial of that fact. Because John was there. He's an eyewitness and an ear witness. He's there when this is taking place. Probably 15, 16, 17 young men. He says, I am not the Christ. And they asked him then, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Now they're asking this. Because Malachi ends his book by saying, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and the great dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. Here's grace. Last I come and smite the earth with a curse. So Elijah, even in this day, they expected Elijah to come. That's why they say, are you Elijah? It's... It, You know, the Seder for believing Jews early when they do the Passover, they leave an empty place for Elijah from the first century onward. There's just an expectation. The Muslims expect Elijah to come. And Muslims believe that he is, that Elijah, all we know is he's a Tishbite, we're not sure what that is. They believe that Elijah is of the tribe of Aaron, that he's a Levite, that he's a priest, Elijah. That's why they put a cemetery in front of the east gate of the city of Jerusalem because they know the Hebrew scriptures know that Messiah and they believe Elijah will precede him is going to come through that gate. And they know if he's of the tribe of Aaron he won't walk through a cemetery and that gate won't be opened. They believe in Elijah's coming. It's a bit confusing because He says, I'm not Elijah. When you read Matthew chapter 11, no, no, chapter 17, they're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And the disciples say, well, what do you mean, don't tell anybody? You know, the scriptures say, you know, that Elijah must first come. We just saw it. And Jesus answered and said unto them Elijah truly future tense shall come and restore all things but I say unto you that Elijah is come already they knew him not they did to him whatever they wanted and the disciples understood he was he was speaking about John the Baptist and that so uh, uh, He's saying here, John the Baptist, I'm not Elijah. His ministry is in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's certainly a type of that. But Jesus himself said, no, Elijah shall yet come. But Elijah has come in the sense of the forerunner. And they did to him whatever they wanted. So they say, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And then they said, are you that prophet? The Jews took note of Moses in our Bible Deuteronomy 18 says the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren and Moses says like unto me a deliverer unto him shall they hearken and I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee God's talking I will put my words in his mouth he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him so they believed that there was a prophet yet to come after the, the, the like of Moses. And so they're asking, are you that prophet? Because they all knew when they said that who they were talking about. And, and he says, no. Now, here's a funny thing. His answers just get shorter. He's not a big conversationalist. First of all, he says to them, I am not the Messiah. Then they say, well, are you Elijah? Three words, I am not. Are you that prophet? One word, no. So they're getting nowhere fast with old John here. And then they said unto him, well, who are you? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What do you say for yourself? He said, we got to go back And they're going to say, is he the Messiah? No, he's not the Messiah. Is he Elijah? No, he's not Elijah. Is he the prophet? No, he's not the prophet. Well, who is he? I don't know. We'll go back down and find out again, you know. They say, what what, what answer do we give when we come back? Because the whole world's following you. And John chapter 10 says, and John did no sign. You would expect the power of Elijah upon him. He would be doing miracles. He never did a miracle because he says in the next verse i'm just a voice that was the power in his life he performed no signs he did no miracles well who are you then we got to give an answer to somebody and he he said this he said i am the voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the lord as said the prophet Isaiah and of course in the prophecy it said the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the lord capital L O R D prepare ye the way of jehovah of yahweh in isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 make straight in the desert a highway for our god luke gives the rest of the quote where it says in every valley shall be exalted Every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed unto all flesh. They shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Who are you then? Now it's interesting, because Matthew and Luke say there was one, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John's gospel is the only one that gives it to us in the first person. That John the Baptist himself said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Because John the Apostle was there. He was watching all this. He was listening to this. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, as says the prophet Isaiah, which means that Zechariah, when he was a young boy, Took him through the scrolls that he would have had access to as a priest. There's no chapter and there's no verse, and yet he knows in the scroll of Isaiah where these things are said, and he said, I'm the voice. That's who I am. I'm the voice. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm not Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not that prophet. I'm a voice. You don't see a voice. I'm just the voice of one crying. In the wilderness, in his message, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And the idea is, when a king, someone royal, would come, they would make the hills low, they would they would bring up the land where there were ditches and so forth. They would make the crooked things straight. They would prepare everything. And, and how much more in this generation? You know, do we simply need to say around well, us, the way the Lord is coming? Get it together. you know. Jesus said, I am the way. Make straight the way of the Lord. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And, and here John's message. Make straight the way of the Lord. Everyone in this room has a way. My wife has a way about her. Each one of my four kids are different. They all have a way about them. Their spouses have a way about them. Each one of my grandkids are all different. They have a way about them. This is the way of the Lord. It's woven into that way in our life. You know, Psalm 119, guys, says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed unto thy word, O Lord. Make straight the way of the Lord. He's coming. He's our Savior. This is a message to you and I as Christians and to the unsaved world. are there things in our life that need to get straightened out. He says, do it. Make it straight. He's coming. He's the voice preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. Are there crooked places in your life? Are there mountains and valleys that need to be brought into perspective? You know, just interesting to look at it and to think about it. If you were there and heard John the Baptist say this, in the power of the Holy Spirit, make straight the way of the Lord, as saith Isaiah, You'd walk away and think, Lord, what do I need to straighten out of my life? You know, just the, the way the, the, the harlots and the publicans and the, the, the misfits came. <clears throat> and they which were sent of the Pharisees. Now, it's the first time the Pharisees are mentioned in John's Gospel and they were the ones who were sticklers for what they believed orthodoxy was. The Sadducees were the ruling party. They had stepped away, and as Caiaphas, they were Sadducees. It it says here, they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And then they asked him, well, why baptized thou then? If you be not Christ, you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, And you're not that prophet. Why are you baptizing? Because the Jewish tradition was, you know, you could baptize a Gentile. If he wanted to be a proselyte, he wanted to get involved in Judaism, a Gentile was prophesied. The Jewish religious leaders watched it. They didn't want to put their hands on a Gentile. So they watched him go into the baptismal and come out. When he came out, he was cleaner. Then they circumcised him. And then he was became a proselyte of the gate. He was an unofficial official member of the Jews. They still looked down on them. And then there were the mikvahs. There were ceremonial washing. When you came up to the temple, the Jews would go in and wash themselves physically. Remember, they, they hassled Jesus because his disciples didn't wash hands before they ate. They would dip themselves in the mikvah when, before they went to the temple. But this is a baptism unto repentance. It's never practiced by the Jews and it's being preached to the Jews. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sins. Metanoia, you need to change your mind. The direction of your life is going away from God and when you get tired of the emptiness and the nonsense, you need to make a U-turn and bring your life back to God because you're not going to find the purpose of life, a rest for your soul, anywhere else. And this was something that they had never heard. Multitudes are following him. And they say, well, if you're not Messiah, and you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet Moses spoke, then why are you baptizing? Because it's recorded in the Talmud, their tradition in this day was, you're not allowed to bring another right to the children of Israel, to the law of Moses, you couldn't add any rights to the ordinances that already existed unless you were the Messiah. And that's why they're asking, well, if you, if you ain't the Messiah, and you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet Moses spoken of, why are you baptizing? What's this deal? And it was their right to ask that. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. Now in the other gospel records we know, he says, but he that cometh after me baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John the apostle was there listening, gives us the first part of this. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. In other words, the one you're asking about is baptism is going to be different with the Holy Ghost. And he's differentiating himself from the Messiah when he says this I baptize with water that's all I'm doing I'm a voice I'm out here crying I'm baptizing with water but there standeth one among you whom you know not he it is who coming after me is prepared before me whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose he says you know I baptize with water is what God's called me to do But there standeth one among you whom you know not. The Greek tense is incredible. It's There presently stands. He's already taken his stand among you. Somewhere in the crowd, Jesus is standing. He said, there stands one among you whom you know not. Look over in verse 31. John the Baptist, honest enough, says, I knew him not. Until, except the one who told me to baptize said, When you see the Spirit descending, that's the one. That's remarkable. John had baptized Jesus about six weeks before this. Jesus has been for 40 days in the wilderness with the devil, tempted. And when John had baptized him, the Spirit of, of the Lord descended on him, and John knew this is the one. He's challenging them, saying, he's in your midst right now. John could probably look out and see him. The other apostles may be there. You know, in the book of Acts, when they were looking for a replacement for Judas, it said they had to be with Jesus from the baptism of John to the, the resurrection. So it seems like probably all of the apostles were baptized by John at some point. And which ones besides John, we, we know for sure Andrew's here. We're going to find that later in the chapter. But they're he, they're hearing him in this address, and he says, there stands one among you. We don't know if the apostles all looked over and saw him, you know. Uh, there stands one among you. Right now, in the crowd. <laughs> you don't even recognize him. You don't even recognize him. And that's exactly why he came. He told us in verse 14, that the word which was from the beginning put on flesh and he dwelt among us we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father full in grace and truth he said the amazing thing is this eternal word this one Jehovah I'm preparing the way for he put on our skin so he could be Emmanuel God with us he walked into the room he didn't glow when you turn the lights out he didn't float in No classical music playing in the background. He's here. He's here. He's here. You look around the room, you think, which one? Nothing to distinguish him. He's got our skin on. John might say the same thing to us today. Sometimes maybe I need to hear that. He's with you. He's there. He's there right now. When you're thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about. When you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, he's there. He was there in church with you this morning. You didn't even know it. He's with you in the car on the ride home. I don't like that. (laughs) He knows what's in your house. He's there when you're arguing with your spouse or your kids or your neighbor. When you're gossiping or slandering. When you're praising. When you're rejoicing. When you're studying the scripture. He's there. John says he's in your midst. You don't even know it. You don't even recognize him. There standeth one among you. Whom you know not. He it is who coming after me. John says two things here. He's preferred before me whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. He says, he it is who comes after me, he tells us. That's in time. John was six months older. Uh, The angel said to Mary, your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month. So Mary goes there in her first month. Elizabeth has already been pregnant for six months. John the Baptist is six months older than his relative Yeshua from Galilee. John the Baptist will step out of the shadows into his public ministry a number of months before Jesus comes and is baptized by him, the Spirit descending on him to start his public ministry. So he says, look, he says, he comes after me to these religious leaders. I'm, I'm preparing the way for somebody. I'm the forerunner. He's coming after me, but he's preferred his status is established before me. He's eternal. His His position, his royalty, his glory, his status is before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. I wonder if Jesus is gone. You know, he hears John addressing these guys. He's there in the crowd. The... Lowest servant in the house was normally the one, if you had company, they came in who stooped down, unloosed your sandals so they could wash your feet. It was common courtesy in that day in the way you would welcome someone into the house. And he says, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unloose his sandals and wash his feet. This one. That I make the way for, that I'm preparing. I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandals. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. So it wraps up interestingly. Um, some of your translations say these things were done. He was baptizing at Bethany. There's a bit of a a uh, little bit of a controversy there. Um, Beth Bethbara is the ford of the passages or the house of the passages where they passed over um, some try to say that it is up north in Israel right below the Sea of Galilee where the Amalekites when they fled passed over the Jordan in the days of Gideon Trump, some you try to say that it was Oregon in the third century that changed it from Bethany to Bethbara. but They don't know where Bethany is. Because well, it says it's not the Bethany up on the hill by the Mount of Olives. There's no river up there. It's, it's a Bethany, they say, that was on Transjordan. And they say it has to be up north, just south of the Sea of Galilee, because within a day or so, he's in Cana at the wedding. Well, they don't know the timing of all that, and they have no location for that Bethany. Um, It could be. We don't know. But there is a place by Jordan, we know, where the children of Israel, when they came into the land following the priests, that the priests were told to go and stand in the Jordan River holding the Ark of the Covenant, and when they stepped into the river, the river stopped flowing, and it backed up in heaps as the children of Israel crossed over and came into the promised land by in the fords of Jericho. He's baptizing in the wilderness of Judea, which is basically Jericho down the Masada. It's not up north. And when the nation was crossed over, Moses said, all right, 12 of you take stones and put them in the bed of the river as a memorial, and 12 of you take stones big rocks out of the bed of the river and put them on the bank and this will always be a memorial to you. Jewish historians say that pile of rocks in the fords of Jericho was still there in the first century. In fact, if that's where John was baptizing, in the place where they forded, the Bethabara, the house of passage, He said to the religious leaders, don't think to say within yourselves we have Abraham as our father. Because God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. In other words, your ancestor crossed here by faith. Abraham was recognized by God. By faith he was justified. All of these things that have happened in our nation, it's been by faith. You think with your ritual, and, and your religiosity on the Temple Mount? No, no. He said, this has to be by faith. This river also has to be crossed that way. And don't think this, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Don't think to say in your hearts. We have Abraham as our father because God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. What a remarkable passage. The next day, verse 29 he sees Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God. The next day, that's Monday, not for us, for them, you know. uh, Next day, if the Lord tarries, we'll look at that next Sunday. If he doesn't, you can ask John yourself. (laughs) Uh, I hope. You know, um, we should pray. Let's stand and let's pray we all agree, for a fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit in the days that we're living in. The things that are in front of us to undertake, we're never going to do it in our own wisdom and our own power. The world we living, we're living in right now, two things are happening at the same time. It's becoming more constricting and more suffocating. More and more control on your lives, like Gulliver and the Lilliputians tying them down with a thousand threads, That's going on, and we know it's setting the stage for an antichrist that will come and control the world with incredible restrictions. But at the same time, the world we're living in is coming apart. Morally, ethically, in regards to what truth is. We live in a world now that is choking and suffocating, and at the same time, it is being dismantled and is falling apart. Those are strange things to be happening at the same time. And here we are in the middle of it for such a time as this, like Esther. And I know that God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Peter would say to the crowds that question, they're not drunk, it's nine o'clock in the morning. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I'd say we're in the last days, wouldn't you? Sons and daughters. Your old men will dream dreams. I'm a dreamer at this point. Your handmaids and your servants will be filled with the Holy Ghost. The world that we're living in now needs you and I to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to pray that God will fill us afresh as we worship I'm also going to pray, if you're here and you don't know this Jesus, don't listen to the religious world. We see it right here. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, no man, no woman, no child can come unless my Father in heaven draws him. And as we worship, and if you sense the Holy Spirit drawing, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your record is. It doesn't matter how filthy your resume is or how good you think you are, for that matter. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, this is still the message. Repent because Christ is coming. It hasn't changed, and is still true today. And if we get in, anybody can get in. If I get in, if Jerry gets in, anybody can get in. (laughs) Right? So let's pray that God will fill us, and let's pray as we worship. If there's anyone here that needs to be saved, you come. You get out of the aisle, you come. You stand here. We want to pray with you and see you accept your Savior. Father, I know you've overheard Lord, uh, in regards to the, those who may not know you, you add to the church daily such as should be saved. It's not our work, Lord. But we, Lord, would ask that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Remind us when we pull out of the parking lot, we're entering the mission field. The time is short. or there's a signature on it since the rebirth of the nation of Israel. We understand the days that we're living in. We understand, Lord, the adversary. We understand the forces against us. But you said greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Fill us afresh, Lord, with your spirit, we pray in your name. Amen.